0: and welcome to Talk Ag to Me, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host, Brennan Black, and unfortunately, my co-host could not join me today. However, Evan might be joining us later today. We'll have to see about that. But today, we do have a special guest. Today with us, we have Mr. Kevin Kulwine. Mr. Kulwine, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience?
1: Well, thanks for having me. Uh, My name's Kevin Kulwine, as Brennan just told you. I've been in san joaquin valley now for 52 years been involved with agriculture all 52 of those years been involved uh, as an ag teacher for 28 years Uh, before that was an ffa member at hanford high school and kind of love being in tulare love the production side and the stuff we have here in tulare married 26 years and have three children my oldest daughter is a year away from graduating with a degree in ag marketing from fresno state and so yeah we raise livestock, go to jackpot shows, all the stuff that us in the rural communities do.
0: Sounds good. All right, so uh, today's episode is going to be centered around um, this being a podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy and and how to effectively communicate with the public about agricultural topics. I thought it'd be important for us to talk about um, how we engage with the public on uh, on a daily basis in terms of... um, how we can bear a message to them about agriculture and, uh, in rare cases where we have to engage in arguments with people that aren't so willing to communicate, um, how we effectively do that without being disrespectful or condescending in any way, make sure we still get our point across. And I thought Mr. Quan could help with that here.
1: Well, I look forward to it. I, I think it's a discussion, frankly, that, uh, as I've told you, all three of you, how proud I am that you guys are starting this, because I think these are the conversations that start and, now, as social media is such a huge thing with with all people, not just kids anymore, Absolutely. that I think this is a platform that I mean, even if there's only a couple things today that people can take from it or if they think about it or this starts in another chapter someplace, I don't see a, a downside to that whatsoever.
0: No, me either. Yeah, um, I made a point about that in a, a couple episodes ago. Um, the whole point of this podcast is just to really just get the word out there and, and show that this can be a, a method of communicating agriculture information. Absolutely. It's not a matter of who's the most popular, who's who makes the most money. It's just a matter of getting our message out there. And any way we can do that, I think, is the most effective way. Agreed. So uh, just to get into our, uh, our interview here, I think I'll start with our first question. Do you believe there's a definite way to win an argument? If you if we're
1: talking about an argument, I'm not sure anybody wins when it's an argument. Okay. And as I look at it, I think arguments are based on, as I look at it, two things. One is emotion, mm-hmm. which I think can be dangerous. And a lot of times, and we've all been in arguments, uh, they tend to get relatively heated because we're not, first of all, we're getting very emotional about something. And second of all, I think sometimes there's a lack of fact, yes. a lot of times with, with arguments. And so I think in an argument, we all lose. And I don't think today in American agriculture with some of the things that we face from radical environmentalists, radical animal rights activists, the, even our own government that is putting a lot of regulations and restrictions, conducting ourselves with an argument I think lowers our intellectual standard mm-hmm. to a point that I think it actually makes us look even worse. I think all too often there's a stereotype of people in agriculture and that well, they might be good in the dirt but how intelligent really are they mm. until you meet some of these people and understand the, the things that they have to do on a daily basis and you realize very quickly that they are highly intelligent people in all forms mm. and i guess what i would say is i change the paradigm of that question and I, maybe it's semantics brennan and this is what you meant mm-hmm. how do you win a discussion
0: Yes, I think that's maybe more so, accurate
1: way. I think there's a, there's several things, and one of them, I feel very strongly about this. I think you have to know your position extremely well, and I think you have to remain educated on the topics that potentially you could have a discussion with, mm-hmm. because I think there's enough stuff that comes out on a continual basis that we have to make ourselves aware of. At the same time, I think you have to know the opposing point of view as well, mm. because if you know your side, but you're lim- you but you don't understand the other person's side, well, now you don't know the, the fullness of the equation that you're dealing with. Right. I think the third thing is there's some interpersonal types of skills. And I think we have to approach when we have a debate or we have a discussion, we have to approach that and, and really disengage ourselves from the personal kind uh, types of things that somebody else might say. Mm. Because again, that's when you start getting into an argument. Right. You start cutting people off. Um, voices tend to raise. And now you're not thinking through thought process. So I think it's don't have uh, thin skin. Mm. Know that somebody's not going to agree with you. There might be an acceptance of the fact that I'm not necessarily going to change this person's point of view. I think there are groups out there that have a belief system that's almost like, a I would say, a religious belief system. They believe it as if it were their religion. And I'm not sure we are going to convince some of those people. It's the people that are in the middle, the people that don't know. I think that's the ones that we, we really need to target. And we can't do that if we come off condescending, if we come off making them feel like they're inadequate because they don't have the information and so naturally they're going to believe the opposing point of view if that's how we go about that and I think it I don't look at winning a discussion or winning a debate in terms of I got you winning is in my opinion did I make this person at least think about their position make them question their positions. It's what I do to you guys in class. Absolutely. I just want you to question. I, I'm not interested in changing your, your mind necessarily, but I do want you to ask the question. Okay. And I think that's, that's a winning strategy. At least that's the winning strategy. And I actually had uh, an example of this when uh, Kathy and I and Audrey were at St. Jude and we were there our very first time. Mm-hmm. And obviously in a children's hospital, children's cancer hospital, there's lots of very sick children. And the parents want to know, how did this happen? Why did this happen to my child? And so I was sitting in, it was actually uh, the waiting room of uh, not the oncology clinic, but before she was going to go in for radiation. Mm. And there was some parents there talking and they got to talking about all the pesticides that are in these kids. And it's, it's, a, it's a wonder that more of them are not sick. And they they're really blaming it on the pesticides. And so I just interjected, I began to listen to what they were saying. And I just began to ask them questions. Mm. Questions like, do you know the rate at which these things are applied? Do you know how what it takes to get a product from a Monsanto or a bear crop science? What it takes, the years of research, EPA has to sign off on it, FDA have to sign off on it, USDA has to sign off on it, and it's about a ten year process. You know that. Right, yeah. And so at the end of that, they asked me, how do you know all this stuff? And that's that's when I said, okay, I'm, I'm an ag teacher. I've been involved in agriculture. I didn't say that initially because I didn't want there to be a bias in the conversation. Right. And so at the end of it, they wanted to know the answers to those things. And it ended on, a, I don't know that I changed their mind. Uh, they had enough to deal with with a very sick child with cancer. Absolutely. But just to cause them to think a little bit, at least they're going to question it when they see things on the on TV or social media. That was the purpose.
0: Okay. Yeah, um, you actually answered a a couple of the other questions I had on on my list for you. (laughs) That's that's all right. I'm I'm glad that you brought some of those points up there, something that I really wanted you to to go in depth about, and you definitely did. Um, One of the points you brought in towards the end of your answer there was uh, how you didn't talk about how you were an ag teacher before you started engaging in that conversation. I Mm -hmm. think that's a really important point that I hadn't really thought about before. But um, in a lot of discussions, especially discussions with people that are very passionate towards one side of of a Mm -hmm. a topic, um, the second you bring in your association with that topic is often the second that they either lose interest or they gain your side and it depends on like for example if you have started the conversation with i'm an ag teacher listen to what i say they would have been turned off automatically because they like you said they leave you in bias and the
1: potential is there yeah that they could have uh, or or there is an inherent inherently i'm going to support the agriculture industry because that's where i'm being paid right you know that animal rights activist would look at a dairyman and go well, of course you think this is okay because you're making money off of
0: it right but as you're saying by talking about your points initially and then going into the fact that you're an ag teacher after they already asked you that it already gets to the point where they're already like you said thinking about that topic in a general perspective and then you give them your side at that point they're not going to change their mind on what you said because you provide your facts effectively and in a way that's already making them think i think that's very important for for our audience to to understand um so another one of my uh my questions for you is um what do you believe is the most important attitude to have, and you may have talked about this a little, a little bit in your answer, um, in terms of explaining these concepts to an unaware public. Like, what kind of, what kind of voice did you use when you talk to them?
1: Again, I think first of all, I think you have to be able to, to be willing to ask them, mm-hmm. what do they believe and why, and to hear what they're saying, mm-hmm. not just placate them with the, the pretense that you're listening, but to actually hear that, so that you now have from their position what is their position and is it based on fact is it based on emotion what's it based on from there is when you get to have the depth in the discussion and and we all appreciate when somebody looks you in the eye actually listens to what you're saying you feel like you have value you feel like you're important Absolutely. there's a couple podcasts that i listen to and and Jordan Peterson on YouTube and on his podcast. He does a very effective job and I've, I've watched him several times, not even so much from the standpoint of the information that I'm getting, but to watch from the standpoint of how is he conducting himself? We learn from a lot of people. Yes. And I think that was something that I learned a great deal from. Now, I don't know that we always have the opportunity, like going back to our last question, for people to not know where you come from. Right. I mean, you you can get that at times. I don't think that that necessarily is going to be disaffective to being able to have a really sound, logical, in-depth discussion. All right, I agree. You know, so I think the attitude that you come into this thing with is, first of all, we want them to question if, let's say, we'll give an example that it's an environmental group. And not, not a real radical environmental group, but people that are just concerned about nature and the environment, whatever. Right. If you understand their perspective, we also probably have a lot in common mm. because we also want the environment protected. Right. Now, ours may come at a different vantage point, but at the end of the day, we all want clean air. We all want clean water. We all want to maintain natural resources. We all want that right how do we do that at the same time that's i think that that for me at least that's the attitude that i try to bring
0: i think that's a a very effective uh way of of conveying our message i think that'd be something that a lot of people don't really take advantage of because like you said um a lot of debates today or a lot of conversations any kind of discussion about a controversial topic tend to get very heated very quickly because people don't know how to control that aspect of of their delivery
1: and it's understandable you know that There's a lot of people that I think in the agriculture industry, I think they feel like they're under attack, you know, or Mm. you're at, you're always on the receiving end of negative, negative messages. I mean, even our own industry does this to each other. The organic portion of our industry, for example, utilizes their, quote, healthier food source against traditionally grown, which when you look at that, you're like, man. Should we be doing that? Yeah, it's one thing to state that there is no no pesticides, no antibiotics, none of mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, but not to market that in a way that if you are a traditional grower, that you're somehow bad. I mean, right. we have growers in the San Joaquin Valley who do both. Right. Boswell does both and does a lot of organic, and God knows he does a ton of traditionally grown food products or cotton or
0: whatever he's got in the ground. Right, and it's examples like the one you gave that lead to uh, a topic we'll be talking about in another episode, which is labeling. It causes fear-mongering and and a misconception about the agriculture industry, and it basically creates a civil war in an industry that we all need, which is agriculture. Correct. So, um, just moving on to uh, another one of our questions. Uh, How can we ensure the future generations um, will engage in more civil and intellectual conversation as opposed to emotionally charged yelling matches, like we were talking about earlier? Oh, man and that is I guess that's the greatest question
1: and I don't know I don't know that any of us have that answer I think we're getting a lot of kids staying in agriculture I don't know that they're necessarily staying in production Production's Mm -hmm. tough at least around here as you know
0: less than two percent of the population is involved in it
1: yeah I mean even today in class we we had a discussion about some of this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. I think one of the things is what you're doing right here I think that's that's one of them I think the other part of it is having uniquenesses within the FFA that offers kids this opportunity, Mm. not just the standard bearers of extemp and prepared in those sorts of things, but I think having the opportunity to study, research, become passionate about something, and then to find your voice in that thing. Mm. And I think every generation has to pass on to the next generation the responsibility to take care of i mean we talk about being stewards of the land we need to be stewards of the people who are going to take over the land correct I, and i, I think agree. that's something that not just not just in ag education i think that's in in all walks of life that to to ensure that we need to make sure they understand the responsibility that they have for that next
0: generation Yeah, that's going to lead to another question i had, which you partially answered it there um in terms of expanding upon agriculture in all different types of discussions, political or uh, educational or, you know, any kind of discussion that we have in general, not just agricultural, um, do you think that these same methods of you know, discussing these topics apply?
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I, it, it's just, for me, it's it's, it's your lifestyle.
0: Mm.
1: I, it, it absolutely is a lifestyle. And and it's not one, and <clears throat> i make it sound like I've done this all my life. I haven't. Um, I have gotten, argumentative mm-hmm. I, I'm not gonna lie you know we had at Fresno Fair one year uh, PETA came in before the sale started and they took up the entire sale barn where everybody was supposed to sit all the buyers were supposed to sit and they wow. delayed the sale for well over an hour Wow! and obviously I had a bunch of kids at the fair that were getting worked up and I, I just got them all together and I, I kept them inside the barn I said stay away you're not going to benefit anything by getting in an argument right And one guy came over and he kind of got in my face a little bit and yes, it turned into an argument Mm -hmm. and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. In that circumstance, I was a young ag teacher. I've only been teaching, I think three years and I did not do an effective job. And I argued back and they had to get security to get rid of this guy and the Mm -hmm. whole thing. But I think the more we read, the more you read on leadership, the more that you immerse yourself not only in the leadership tactics and the leadership training, but also understanding, in-depth understanding, mm-hmm. research, study of the topics that you could potentially deal with. And there's a variety of them. Mm. The more you recognize, and it's, again, I'm gonna go back to this concept and it's it's disengage. And so in the book Extreme Ownership, which I highly recommend, one of the one of the portions of this is dedicated to being able to disconnect yourself disengage disconnect and it's not disengage in the sense that i'm mentally shutting off it's disengaging from the proverbial tree that's right in front of you so you don't miss the forest that's out around you and in the book they're talking it was what's called a blue on blue and that's when Friendly forces are firing on friendly forces, but they don't know it. Okay. And so before this actually this actually occurred, Mm -hmm. and they use this a battle scene, they apply it to them to business, they completely stopped everything they were doing and triple checked. And a lieutenant had to ask a colonel on three separate occasions to not fire on a building. Well, come to find out if they would have, they would have killed about twenty Navy SEALs. Wow. So the concept now disengage means okay I'm gonna I'm not gonna engage this I'm not gonna get right back into the discussion mm. what's going on around me so that I can see everything that's going on and I can understand what's going on around me so that I don't get pinhold into one thing I see and it's a it they do a much better job than I just did talking <laughs> about that in a book but it's it's truly is a leadership technique that you can use that applies to that just what we're talking about
0: oh, that's really interesting okay um you talked about a little bit earlier um the difference between um, the two two different components in an argument being a a lack of fact and overcharged emotion so in a discussion or in a speech or any kind of um, conveyance of a message of any sort um, of course there's a, a large portion of fact that needs to be used in order to have any kind of credibility do you believe there is room for emotion, or what role does emotion p- play in in those kinds of uh, discussions?
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I think emotion shows passion, and emotion shows that you're driven, mm-hmm. that you have a desire. I think those are all things, and that you're competitive. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a competitive nature to it. I think it's the ability to control that to where the emotion is appropriate or congruent for what it is that we are doing or talking mm-hmm. about. Okay. If you're giving a speech, nobody wants to hear somebody that's boring. Right. I agree. There has to be, obviously, in- intellect, and there has to be facts, and there has to be data, mm. but are you presenting it in such a way that it's engaging? I mean, you want to engage your audience. Right. You want to engage the other person. Mm. I mean, looking somebody in the eye, shaking your head, agreeing with them in, a, in places where you can agree. Knowing full well that you are mentally and emotionally engaged in conversation, that's emotion. Those are emotions. They're proper emotions. It's the one we cannot affect, or the ones that we should not allow because they're not effective. Is the negative kinds of things. I see. Those kinds of emotions don't work, and it's not. I didn't say it was easy, uh, because it's not. Especially if you're very passionate about something. Right. But you have to again disengage, mm-hmm. so that you can be engaging.
0: All right, that makes sense. I. I think that's a good, um, a good point for our audience to understand, uh, along with the other ones, that um, a lot of people think that if you bring in large amounts of emotion that people will kind of like, they draw a lot of attention to yourself, and that's sometimes a positive thing. I don't think that's the way that, to look at it. Um, I think that drawing in too much attention to yourself can also be a negative thing because if you don't have a large amount of fact to back yourself up, you draw a lot of attention and then they see you don't know what you're talking about and you lose all of your, all of your footing in, in the discussion. Yeah, and um, credibility. Absolutely. And so I think in that, um, it's important, there, there's always kind of a saying that I always kind of go by whenever I have any kind of discussion with somebody, and that's whenever you have a discussion with somebody, especially about a controversial topic, the first one to get mad loses immediately. Mm. Because yeah. if you get mad, not only do you just sound like you don't know what you're talking about, you start to lose your cognitive ability to process the things that you, that you want to say. Like even if you have all these facts lined out on a sheet of paper, the second you get mad, you start forgetting your facts and you start forgetting the things that you were going to bring up in the argument and it just starts to make you look like you don't know what you're talking about.
1: Anger also shuts the other person down. Mm. I mean, think about it. If you're having a discussion with somebody and you bring up some things that maybe they don't like, they're mm. factual. Right. And they get angry with it. As the other person in the discussion, the wall comes up and you shut down as well. Because okay. we're, I think most of the time people are trying to avoid conflict. Yeah, um, and so when that happens, again for me, as soon as that happens, I completely disengage from that, and I go, okay, I'm going to stop this because there's n- there's nothing positive is going to come out of this thing, and I think that's we have to pick and choose our battles. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, what's going on in the city of Tulare, with the mayor of the city of Tulare, the I think the the worst thing we could do was to react emotionally, to some comments that were not favorable to agriculture whatsoever. Right. Would his mind be changed? I I don't know. I know that the very radical animal rights activists, you're not going to change their mind. No. And so getting into a debate in those circumstances on a street corner, wherever it might be, at a county fairgrounds. You're probably better off walking away from that one because it's probably not the hill that you want to die on because it's not going to be effective.
0: Right. Okay. So um, we talked a little bit about um, you know young people learning about um, how to effectively talk about these things because, like you said, with the fair example, you had kids that wanted to go up and talk to the PETA members, and that's that's no, um, there's there's no effective way of, of doing that and. Um, being in your class we've talked about effective ways of having these discussions with the public and, and that kind of thing so do you believe it's more beneficial for for students it, like for teachers to teach students the effective way to talk to somebody about these kinds of topics in in a classroom setting is, is basically my question
1: yes and i wish we had a, i wish we had a class that had that type of curriculum built into it mm. uh, i'm I think if you had a class that had that type of curriculum built into it, the clientele that you would have that take the class would be people like you and mm-hmm. Evan and Abby, those kids that want to do that sort of thing. But yeah, there's a structure to this. And the other thing, life should, if you continue to learn in life, life should teach you some of these things. And, and some of it is, it's self-taught. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to learn it. I, I came across, again, the, the Extreme Ownership book, about eight months ago Okay. didn't really know what i was getting into but saw it read the review and i thought "Hmm, that sounds interesting <laughs> and i've now read it four times wow and there's notes all over the book and i've actually used those and i'm 52 well, i wish i would have had that book when i was 32 yeah it didn't <laughs> but i have it now so i think it doesn't necessarily have to just be in a class i think there's what you kids are learning, what I learned in the FFA, are all the tools. It's all the foundational stuff. And then what you do with it from there is kind of up to you guys. Because you won't get that sort of thing in college. Right. You get it in life.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, that's, um, I think that's a very good uh, point you have there. Um, in, in our current society, it seems like there's a lot of debates breaking out. Whether they be civil or, or more engaging and more con- confrontational, It seems like there's a lot of um which maybe it's just the media blowing it up but there's a lot of um, more uh controversial more or less discussions and debates breaking out um, all over the country Um, do you think in terms of improving ag literacy and fixing these issues regarding agriculture politics and society is is it helpful to or is it more helpful or harmful to engage in these kinds of not necessarily debates but discussions with these people well i think
1: it it depends on. I think it really depends on the circumstance. Okay. Um, I guess to fully answer that question would be mo- what would be an, an example circumstance, and I think you have to play that one by ear. Uh, I agree with you. If on a college campus, for example, if you don't agree with a particular point of view on these college campuses, uh, you're shouted down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There is no freedom of speech, really on a college campus if that it flies in the face of something that the mass group doesn't believe in. Right. And at that point, I don't know what you do there. Mm. I, I'm not sure that there's an effectiveness. Without paying the price, Ben Shapiro <laughs> pays the price, but, and he's okay with it. Yeah. He's okay with that, but I think your personality style kind of has to fit there as well.
0: Okay. Um. I think just to kind of add on to that, um, I'm not sure if I'm addressing this in kind of a question stance, but in addressing that topic, do you think that we have a certain responsibility to uh, inform the public about agricultural topics, even if they're being aggressive in how they respond to those topics? Like, like let, just to give you an example, like, let's say, um, like with the example you gave on a college campus, that there's a group of individuals. Um, That are not not to say rioting but like in it like protesting the idea of genetic modification Mm -hmm. if if I were on that college campus and I had something to say about that topic if I had um, knowledge that I could provide on that subject would it be more beneficial like would it be beneficial to agriculture for me to go up and say that or do I have that responsibility because I have that knowledge to go up and say my part in in that debate you think?
1: Let's look at this from the standpoint of how effective would you be able to be? So, if you're looking at that, they already have this hard and fast agenda. Right. They probably don't know their side very well. Mm. Some some may, but in terms of looking at the other side, they have already made a decision It's bad. Mm. I think we're better off doing what you're doing right here. I think you're better off being involved in proactive marketing, proactive discussions, than in trying to engage somebody that's, I agree with you not necessarily right, but if they're doing a major protest, because they're just gonna shout you down. Okay. And you, they have numbers on their side. Yeah. I mean, literally, they have numbers on their side. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we should shy away from the opportunities that we do get provided right. through a variety of different means to be able to talk
0: about these issues. Okay. Uh, that kind of leads into the, um, the next question I had, which you basically answered it there. I'm not sure if you have any more to say on it, but um, obviously we have some people, like you said, the animal rights activists and some of the more um, activist types of groups, and maybe they don't know what they're talking about, but it's very likely they're not going to back down from their side. They're not going to budge to what we're trying to tell them what do we do about these individuals in terms of trying to, we're trying to promote ag literacy, we're trying to get more people on our side, and we have these people that are never gonna budge, and we're trying to make sure that the people who are in the middle don't go to their side. So what do we do about those who who cannot be convinced?
1: I don't know that you're gonna change them. I think you don't worry about them but i think you worry about the people that you as you said in the middle or the people that don't really have an opinion one way or another mm-hmm. i think that's where we have to try to get those folks okay and if we can change their heart we can change their mind just and we have to have we have to have people that are willing not just physically willing but willing to do the hard intellectual lifting of knowing their subject really well mm. and then being able to have a, a legitimate rational logical conversation based on
0: facts. do you think that we'll be able to reach that middle fast enough before the more emotional opponents to our side does though It's all about numbers mm. right It's mm-hmm. about numbers absolutely and the
1: more numbers that we get the better off we are yeah and I, I, agree. I think having, former FA members that are now in our federal government, I think that helps. Mm-hmm. And to get a voice and to, again, do what you're doing, mm-hmm. do the same thing on a college campus, those are all things that it begins to spread. And positive marketing works. It works, we all like it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I don't know that we can worry about numbers, we just have to do our job. Okay. And let, the, let, we have, the benefit is we have facts on our side. Mm. We do. And so with facts on our side, we just need to put those things out there in a way and in a forum that is engaging, enlightening, and is interesting.
0: So you said earlier that you listened to Jordan Pearson, and we were just talking about this the other day, but I started listening to him as well. And one of the things that he said is that, um, which this is also in the book that I was talking talking to you about, a moral case for more, for uh, capitalism. Um one of the things that I saw was that people more accurately or more effectively respond to emotion before they respond to fact. Do you believe that's true? And in that case, us having facts on the side, on our side, what does that really mean if we can't reach that crowd faster than, you know, for example, the rights activists?
1: Oh, I think I do think that people are initially the emotional side of of a, a topic or a debate. Mm-hmm. But again, I think you diffuse the emotion by our own personality hmm. or using the right kinds of personality traits, those interpersonal skills we are talking about, and then engaging them with fact. Okay. And I think th- can, it can't all be emotion. You know, we have some of that, of course, but we. I think you better put a lot of fact in
0: there as well. Hmm. Right. I, I, I agree with that. So um, right before we uh, ended off here, I have one more question for you kind of just you know off the top of my head, just came up with it. Um. Do you think, with, because there's a lot of opposition to our side, as, as you said, the, the M.R.I.S. activists, the non-GMO, um, I guess you could say activists, the organic farmers that believe that our side is harmful or dangerous, um, and for the ones that don't know what they're talking about, they have a pretty large voice in the media right now. We're kind of just getting started in terms of media because the average Asian American farmer is 58 years old, and we have you know, less than 2% of the population involved in production and ag. We have, a lot of, we have a lot of support on our side, but they're having a hard time getting their voice out on the media. Do you think we can get our voice out there to catch up to our ever-growing population that we're going to need on our side over the next 30 years? Oh, I do. I absolutely do. You think we can catch up? Yes,
1: I, I absolutely think. Well, yes, I do. Will it be work? Of course it will be. Mm. I think it's the next generation. It's your guys' generation that's going to have to do that and be creative in the process by which you do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know that the, I think you said opposition. I I'm not sure. Yeah. How you, I don't know that their numbers are as great as you might think. I think there's a lot of people in the heartland of this of this nation that do not agree with that. Mm. I think when you get on the, the coasts and you get into larger cities, you see You see a lot more of that. Mm -hmm. That's where our news media outlets are located. And so those are something maybe that's more logical. But I think as you fly over this country, there's a lot of rural parts of this country. There's a lot of really good, solid people that, again, as I go back to one of the things we said in the beginning, these are intelligent people. Yes, they are. Just because they might have uh, grease stains on a pair of pants does Mm -hmm. not imply that they're not intelligent. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think they see through this a lot. But it's going to be your guys' responsibility to... The messaging is going to be critically important hmm. as we move forward. I agree with
0: you on there. All right. Well, um, that's all I have for questions just to kind of wrap up here. Do you have any final comments you want to make on in terms of the importance of literacy, or what we're doing here or what the attitude of you know, having our knowledge that we have and, and how we can spread that? Do you have any more uh, comments on, on that topic?
1: Yeah, just don't stop learning. Do not stop learning. Do not stop doing the research. Make yourself ready. I mean, have yourself trained and ready should the opportunity arise. Hmm. Look for those opportunities. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And when you have those opportunities, you need to reflect on, okay, what did I do well what do I need to improve on moving forward? And I think it's, it's one of those things that you can role play this and practice this. But I think, the, again, the biggest thing is find an opportunity. But when you have it, you need to have yourself ready when that opportunity arises.
0: I think that's a very good uh, advice to, to give to our audience here. So that was kind of the last of the, um, the interview points that I wanted to, to touch on here. And uh, you guys heard... A lot of the things he was saying there are things that we brought up in previous episodes and that we're going to continue to bring up in, in further episodes there's a few things i even uh, hadn't thought about be- before so i'm glad that you kind of enlightened me on on some of those topics so um yeah if if you don't have anything else you want to say to our audience here i think we're going to wrap up here so uh, once again i'd like to thank uh, mr kwan here for for joining me yeah and, my um, pleasure <laughs> yeah and so yeah make sure you guys tune in next Wednesday for we're going to have another interview actually and this time I'll actually tell you guys I got a hold of the founder of the group my job depends on ag uh, Eric Wilson and he agreed to be on our next episode so make sure you guys tune in that's going to be an exciting one so yeah we'll see you guys later and don't forget if you ate today thank a farmer